you know, there's a quote, it says excellence in small things is excellent in all things. How you do anything is how you do everything. So for us, culture is kind of just the way that we do everything. It's the way that we, we wear our gear, our hats, it's the way that we go about our business, it's the way that we act, it's hopefully the way that we walk, the way that we respond to failure. Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us. This episode is brought to you by Baseball Cloud. Baseball Cloud's revolutionary software platform brings to life the numbers captured by TrackMan and FlightScope. This provides colleges, players, and facility owners around the world a turnkey product, allowing them to analyze their data using key metrics and custom visualizations on one intuitive user interface. Go to BaseballCloud.com to find out how you can have your own data analytics department for your program. Data has a story to tell, and Baseball Cloud gives it a voice. This week, we've got Doug Wren, head baseball coach at Tyler Junior College on the mic. Doug is in his 10th season as the head baseball coach of the Apaches, and he has guided his team to the NJCAA World Series six times, including four straight national championship titles. He has been named District C Coach of the Year six times, National Coach of the Tournament four times, National Coach of the Year four times, and has been a finalist for the Skip Burtman National Coach of the Year twice. On the show, Coach Wren talks about what it was like to be a 25-year-old coach, how he prepares his assistant coaches to be head coaches one day, and how he works with his players who might be struggling. This episode is so good, and here is Doug Wren. Doug, welcome to the show. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on and looking forward to, to chatting with you. Oh, absolutely. And uh, we were just chatting about the Texas weather and, and Oklahoma and Texas don't vary that much right now. I mean, it's it, it was a nice day today, like you were mentioning. But but anyway, so I would love to get to know you a little bit better. And, and I know our listeners would as well. So if you don't mind, just tell us a little bit about how you got into the game of baseball and into coaching. Yeah, well, very fortunate. Just mostly like most coaches and baseball guys just been around the game for a long time. I was very fortunate that right out of college, I got into coaching with a, a good friend and, and mentor of mine, Jeff Lightfoot over at Weatherford College. And so I was fortunate enough to kind of slip into college coaching right after I graduated. And uh, I was with Jeff for a year and then was able to come back to a school that I had played for in Tyler Junior College. And so the coach at the time, John Groth, who I'd played for, was here for 17 years and invited me to come back and um, on as, a, as an assistant to work on my um, grad degree and uh, to serve on his coaching staff. And so I enjoyed Tyler, came back. It was an easy decision and, and uh, got to learn under him for a couple of years in just such a different capacity. And, uh, he's, he's, a, he's a good man and he does things the right way. And he's, he's got great morals and values. And, and so it was great for me to kind of sit under him for, for a couple of years. And then, you know, he scared me to death one day, he brought me in and, and told me that he was stepping down and mm-hmm. that, um, he was going to recommend me to take his place. And I'm, I'm 25 years old at the time. And, wow. uh, like I said, I was scared to death, but what an opportunity for me, especially at a place that I played with and had so much invested in. So it's just a little bit about kind of how I got into the game. But as far as just choosing the coaching career, originally back in college, I didn't know what else to do, honestly. 
And uh, all I knew at this point was baseball. My identity was kind of wrapped up in baseball. That's what I felt like I was good at. And I originally wanted to get in so that I could teach the game of baseball to other people, help them help other guys, you know, base running and hit and field and all these things. And, you know, over the years, you know, coaching, it, it works on you. And I, I've been fortunate to have so many good baseball men in my life. And I would say that, that my values have changed a lot from a baseball perspective in the last 13 years. And now it's, it's more about just serving the players on my team, serving my staff, wanting to be a part of their journey while they're here, wanting to help them help take them from, you know, point A to point B and being a part of that. I've got a life verse that, that kind of I, I coach by, and it's First Corinthians 11, 1. It says, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. So for me, like that has kind of really pointed me in the direction that I want to take my coaching career. And so it's, it's crazy because I originally got in for all these reasons that uh, I no longer really care about. No, I love that. And, and I loved, uh, you know, you sharing so much of that with us. And so you're, you're, <laughs> you're 25 years old, which I, man, it's, I can't imagine myself running a program at 25 years old, even though I thought I was ready then. But so you're 25 years old, you've been immersed in the culture and, and you already have an understanding of, of what that looks like, what it feels like on a daily basis. And so you, you walk in and either through the interview process or on, on your first day, you know, what was the vision for you on what you wanted to do? Because I really think it's helpful that you were in it because you probably were formulating some different things in your head that you wanted to do the same and different. But also, what were some of the first steps that, and some of the first stamps that you put on the program that you wanted to and get involved whenever you started? Yeah, so obviously, taking over at 25, I was a young guy. And so John Groth, who I took over for, uh, was a little older than me, had kids that were already out, of college, already out of college, getting married. And so I think the guys kind of liked that at first because I was able to relate to them. I was a little bit closer in age. I was kind of, you know, quote unquote, with the times type deal. <laughs> but I think for me, John had done such a great job of setting a foundation for this program and kind of what it was built on. And so I didn't want to disrupt that. But I, I certainly wanted to put my own spin on things. I certainly want to put my own personality on things. And, uh, you know, as a coach, and as an assistant coach, primarily, and this is just a, a piece of advice for, you know, assistant coaches out there is that I was fortunate that I was able to serve under several head coaches and kind of take some things from each coach. And there's going to be some things that you like. There's going to be some things that you don't like. And so for me, as I, I constantly, I had an email or actually a, a tab on my laptop that I would write all these ideas down, things that I like, things that I want to do differently. And so going in, you know, you, you had an idea of some things that you wanted to change or things that you want to do differently. And so we just started with simple things, just kind of putting our personality on it. You know, I restructured practice a little bit to, to kind of suit what I was trying to do from an offensive and defensive perspective. And, from the gear that we wore, just the different things like that, just trying to put a, our kind of spin on that. We rearranged their classes to kind of help promote kind of our new structure and how we were going to do things. And, and I, I think the thing for me is I just kind of tried to take baby steps. I just, I didn't try to take the program from, you know, where it was to something totally different overnight. And so 
we just kind of took some baby steps and, and just each year removed from year one, just try to identify some areas that we needed to do better job at and some identify some things that we needed to take in, some things that we need to take out of our program, constantly keeping our program under review. And so I think I just tried to look for areas that, you know, we could do a better job in and kind of promote our athletes in certain areas. And so, you know, I think at the end of the day, what I wanted to do was I wanted to put our guys in a position to succeed. And so what does that look like? Well, in the classroom, we wanted to put them in a position to have success in there. And mm-hmm. so we changed some things that we structured with their classes. We changed some things that we structured structured with their study halls, from practices, times of practices, lengths of practices, game setups. And then, like I said, all the way to the gear where what they were wearing and I wanted them to, you know, I, I just, I don't know, maybe it's a little old school, but I'm, I'm a look good, play good type guy. So I wanted our guys to feel like they were taken care of and that they had everything they need that they needed at their disposal to have success here. And um, so that truly, and, and to this day, that still drives our program. And so whatever we do on staff, obviously filtered through the coaching staff, but any decision we make, that is the question that has to be answered is, does this help our guys be successful? Is this setting them up for success? And if it is, that's something we want to do. We want to add that into our program. And if it's not, and it's just a waste of time, then we we don't want to go in that direction. So again, just trying to set up different ways that um, we could be successful and just little by little. and, And my program looks totally different today than it did 10 years ago and hopefully in a good way but i just feel like you know our program's always under evaluation and trying to to get better each year no definitely i love that and so let's talk about how you're getting better this year and you know we're smack dab in the middle of the fall whenever our listeners are listening to this so what does this fall look like for you how have you what time restrictions do you have if any and what are you doing with the time that you guys have gotten them? So essentially, you know, what does a typical week look like for you in the fall? And we can spend the entire, you know, podcast on this. But what is what are some different things that you guys are doing this fall? Yeah, we definitely could spend a whole a whole lot of time on this. But um, I'm excited. I, I love the fall. Uh, it's a different pace for us. It's not quite as hectic. We try to approach it with a with an idea that this is a a teaching, a learning, and evaluating time in our program, which I love. I love the newness of the season. I love the newness of the roster. I love getting to know some of these guys on a different level. And so, um, you know, we're looking forward to our fall and kind of what that looks like. And so, at the junior college level, we don't have as many restrictions as as some of the four year schools do. And so we will typically spend eight to nine weeks on the field. We will have our guys move in towards the end of August. We'll give them a few days to to kind of settle in and, and we have some team meetings and we'll kind of ease into practice. And, and then um, we'll kind of begin our eight to nine week journey throughout September and October. And so we will go, it's typically a five day split. So we try to stay off of Saturday and Sundays in the fall. And that's done totally by design. Years and years and years ago, we were going six days a week in the fall. And we were playing on Saturdays and, you know, we were giving the Sunday off. And just the pace of that 
and especially from a coaching standpoint, coming off the spring, that's pretty crazy coming off the summer that is full of camps and recruiting and all kinds of stuff. It's just nice to have a slower pace in the fall. And we feel like within the eight or nine weeks, we can get all that we want to get done in a five day split. And so I feel like that's plenty. And so we'll go Monday through Friday and typically how we kind of schedule it out is we play, we try to play our outside opponents on a combination of Wednesdays and Fridays. And so Monday becomes a teaching day. So show up Monday morning. Hopefully the guys are excited. That's another great thing about giving them Saturday, Sunday off is most time on Monday, those guys are ready to come back and they're ready to be there Mm -hmm. and, and to learn and to listen and to get after it. And they're hungry for the next five days. And so I've noticed that by giving them those two off days, it's, I think it's really helped on Mondays as far as just guys being engaged. But uh, Monday will be a teaching day. So we typically will go over, especially in the fall, you know, we're going over base running, team defense, individual defense, mm-hmm. breaking them off into their groups, a situational offense. We'll get some cage work in there. So we're just, we're trying to implement some things throughout the Monday and trying to do a little more teaching. And then Tuesday, Thursdays are our class days. So one of the cool things that we are allowed to do here is our guys only take class on Tuesday, Thursday. So they are only going to class two days a week, which allows Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. It allows us some freedom. And also from a travel standpoint, when we travel around to play our fall games, and we also do this in the spring. So our guys never miss class for baseball. So they're never chasing down professors. They're not you know, behind in their work, they're always in class. And if they miss, it's, it's most likely on them and, uh, and not on us. So it's a little easier to, to, to look out for that as well. But mm-hmm. so Tuesday, Thursdays would be our class days. So we have a little bit more limited time with them. And so those are typically our rep and competition days. And so one of the new things that we're starting to do is we're starting to chart a lot of the things that we do during practice. And so I think it's important for those guys. It's not out of the ordinary for us to have done this, but what we're going to start doing is we're not only going to chart it, but we're actually going to show them the results and we're going to post them from week to week. And so Tuesday, Thursdays will be a mass fungo BP. And that's, that's really it. And we'll chart their mass and we'll chart their BP. And hopefully through charting it, they'll, they'll understand that every chart will be watched. Every chart will, will count. And hopefully those guys will have a little bit more intent for every rep and mm-hmm. uh, oh, we'll chart absolutely. those, we'll post them. And so they can kind of see where they're at with the guys that are at their position, some of their peers, kind of where they're falling from week to week on, um, you know, the reps in mass fungo, they're, they're learning where they're making their mistakes. So everything from backhands to forehands, to slow rollers, to kind of atom balls, they're learning where they're making their mistakes too. So everything's charted and they get to see it. And then the same thing for BP, we charge their BPs and, and we post it. And so those guys get to see where they're ranking among their peers when it comes to stuff like that. And so I think it creates some competition and then there's some self-evaluation going on because there's nothing worse than having an exit meeting at the end of the fall. And you felt like this kid could have done a little bit better and maybe he kind of fell behind, but in his mind, he only remembers the good things. And so he's not quite on the same page as you. And so I'm hoping what this will do is not only create some more competition, but also help, help them understand where they're at and what they need to do to get better. So, so that'll be kind of what Tuesday, Thursdays look like. And then Wednesday, Fridays are kind of our inner squad or game days. Okay. And so that's kind of what our five day split looks like. And 
that way the guys have an expectation of what each day is going to look like and you know what to expect and that they're going to have to come to compete every day. So that's kind of what a five-day split looks like for us. And, and we will do that through the course of about eight or nine weeks. And then we will cap it off with what we call our Black Gold Series. And, you know, we split them up and get after it for a five-game series. And and then we kind of transition to some off-season. So definitely a cool time in our program. Definitely I love this part of just getting to know our guys on a deeper level. And and uh, also I love, and I think this just is, I think it's a guy thing, but okay. I, I love taking something that has no form, which will be our team in three weeks. Like we'll sit down for our first meeting and we'll have a bunch of random dudes in this room. And then nine months later, the hope and the goal is that this is, this is a fine tuned machine. And these guys have a rapport. They have a relationship with each other. And, uh, this now looks like a team and has shape. And so obviously the fall is a big part of that. No, definitely. And, you know, before we get into the personal development piece that you hit on a little bit, I'd like to hear defensively, you, you mentioned a couple of things that you were charting and then you said batting practice and you guys were going to post, but what, what exactly are you charting offensively? Well, we can do a a number of things depending on what we're trying to accomplish that day. Maybe it's a situational BP where we're working on just kind of executing the offense through bunts, drags, you know, sacrifice bunts, squeezes, those kind of things to run and hits, hitting behind runners, you know, sack fly. We can chart some of that to see who, you know, who can handle the bat, who can do it on a consistent basis and obviously in a BP setting. Or we can even do it from a standpoint of line drives, ground balls, fly balls. We can kind of see... That way they can kind of see what does their BP look like as far as there's a lot of fly balls, a lot of ground balls, line drives. We can chart barrels, like as far as like hard hit balls, we can do that through through exit velos, different things like that. So we can create some competitions saying, hey, here's here's your top exit velos for today during BP. You know, here's your averages. Here's where everybody stands uh, when it comes to this. And so you can create competition in a lot of different ways. And so you know, I think it, it's, it's, you know, it kind of depends on what we want to kind of focus on for that particular day, but you can kind of take some of your offensive philosophies, build them into to BP and then chart it so that those guys know that they step in they're they're competing and what they do and what the results, you know, look like are going to be posted. And so I think it'll just create a sense of, and again, we've done this, but mm-hmm. we're looking at doing this in just a totally different to where it's, we're going to do this in a lot of different facets from mm-hmm. base running to in-game stuff to charted VP to charted mass. And then once a week, we'll just post it. And that way the guys can kind of see where they fit in. And it's like, Oh man, I was, I was the top defender last week and now I've slipped down to third or whatever it looks like. So, sure. but what I found is that by charting those, it, it just creates a different environment. Whereas I think sometimes in a mass fungo setting, it can kind of get, a little mundane or it gets monotonous. And sometimes, I mean, these guys have fielded thousands of ground balls in their life. And so what I want to do is just try to put a premium on that rep. So we're, we're hoping this is the first fall that we've kind of integrated this full fledged. And so kind of looking forward to, to see, you know, what that looks like and what it'll do for, for our team. Absolutely love that. And so you talked about molding the team into something new and, and, you know, having guys for, probably two years for the most part on average i'm assuming and and you that's in the grand scheme of things it's not very long to create connections and and long-term lasting relationships so 
What are some different things that you do to get to know them quicker or on a on a deeper level with such a short period of time? And and how are you developing them to go out and change the world? Yeah, it is. Junior college baseball can be, you know, because we have transfers that come in here too. So that means they're here for nine months. So it does make it a little more difficult to kind of put your, your stamp on it and, and have a lasting impact. But it's, I mean, nine months is also a long time. And it's a long time for, you know, for you to be able to speak into the life of a kid. And, and so we, we do, we do quite a few things when it comes to, to quote unquote culture or, or whatnot. I think that's kind of a buzzword in our, our baseball community now, but for me is we don't really talk about culture the way that I kind of identify with that is, you know, there's a quote, it says excellence in small things is excellence in all things. How you do anything is how you do everything. So for us, culture is kind of just the way that we do everything. It's the way that we we wear our gear, our hats. It's the way that we go about our business. It's the way that we act. It's hopefully the way that we walk, walk around the park or run around the park or get on and off the field, or it's the way that we respond to failure. It's all these little things that we talk about and we try to build into our guys. Those are Those are little things that we hope kind of come out and oozes out of our guys when, when they're squeezed or, or whatnot. So we, we feel like, you know, it's anything we do, whether that's on the field, off the field, in the classroom, in the weight room, whether it's doing community service or whatnot is, is there is a certain way that we do things. And this is the standard. This is how we do it. And so that the idea is that, you know, when we're squeezed, that, that good stuff comes out. So, you know, when it comes to any kind of, team type stuff we we do we started doing some family dinners where uh, my wife and I just invite a group of the guys you know over to the house and host them and get to know you know a smaller number of them just invite them into our home I just you know ever since I got married started having kids I, I wanted them to be a part of that and I want them to see me with my kids and with my wife and I want them to know me on that level as well we are also start a, a deal called host it's called host families but it's actually it's an adopt an apache type deal okay and to where we have some people in the community that come alongside some of our players and just encourage them and and just kind of be a resource for them here in tyler if one needs a you know where do i get a change of tire whatever i whatever it looks like we are partnering our guys up with people in our community that they can just kind of be a contact with them just it's just another sense of family here Obviously, there's NJCAA guidelines that we have to kind of stay within. So, but you know, it's not like our guys are staying with them or anything. Not like a true host family, like in like in summer ball. But it's just a a family here that can just come alongside our kids and just encourage them. Like, hey, midterms are coming up. You know, good luck on your test. Or, hey, you got a big weekend coming up, big series. Like, good luck. I want our guys to leave here feeling connected to the school and this community. And, and that's another way that we we've done that. But mm-hmm. I try to make it pretty clear to our guys, what my intentions are with their time here and that I want them to feel like they're going to be invested in that we have their best interests at heart and that we're going to work really hard for them. And all we ask is they do the same. And so I got some really good marriage advice when I, when I got married from a, from a dear friend and he said, it's, you know, marriage is not a 50-50 relationship. It's 100-100. And, you know, she's going to give 100 of who she is, and you're going to give 100 of who you are. And, mm-hmm. and if that's if that's what's happening, then you guys will be able to work through anything. And so, I, like true baseball guys, we all, I take anything, whether it's a sermon or whether it's a whatever, 
a book that couldn't even be on baseball, but I apply it to baseball. And so I kind of took that. I'm like, that's exactly like a player coach relationship. So I'm going to give them hundred percent of who I am. And I don't claim to be the best in the world, but I love what I do. I work hard at it. I, I try to learn as I go and, and I'm going to give them hundred percent of who I am. And then all we ask is they give us hundred percent of, of who they are. And if that happens, I think that's where the where true change will, will occur. No, a hundred percent. And that was the same advice that I was given whenever I was uh, getting married as well. And, and that's something that it's, it's easy to say. And it's another thing completely to be able to do on a daily basis. And, and again, it's not something that's easy. No but doubt. It's something that, that we have to strive for every day and, and take inventory on that. But what about your coaching staff? So you got the head coaching job at 25, and I'm sure that came with its own set of struggles as far as I'm assuming you were potentially the youngest guy on staff or really close to that and almost the same age as the players. But you have guys that you are around uh, every day and just, you know, what does your staff look like? But also, how are you preparing them to be better on a daily basis and potentially to be head coaches someday or just to be really good at, at what they do? Yeah, this is something, honestly, that I struggle with for a long time. Taking over when I was 25, I was literally drinking through a fire hydrant for years and learning and just trying to, you know, those first couple of years, you know, just trying to keep my head above water, really. And we, funny, we had some success those first couple of years. But, you know, truly just running a full program, I was fortunate. I had a, I had a buddy, Hart Herring, who was my assistant, and we were actually assistants on staff under John. And so I got the head job, and, and Hart was just as qualified, and I was just fortunate enough to get it. And I was so blessed that he stayed, and he stayed with me for three years. And, and I, I told him, I said, hey, this is our program, not mine. This is ours because I couldn't have done it any other way and I couldn't have done it without him. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and he knows that. And, and I, I've told him that and, you know, just fortunate he stick around. So we, we really, for those first three years, we did a lot of it together. And, but as the years continue, you just, it was more of going from, you know, this is what we got to get done. And, and I, I'm, I'm transitioning and I'm, again, I'm still learning in this, in this regard, but yeah, I'm transitioning to where I'm, the, my assistant coaches are staying the same age as I'm getting older. So it started off as we're all the same age and, mm-hmm. and your relationship is just different. And now, you know, I've got assistant coaches that are 25, they're 10, 11, 12 years younger than me. And so there, there does become a, a leadership aspect to that and a, and a chance to speak into their lives. And so, you know, I just, I'm learning, I'm learning every year how to delegate better. This is, it's something that for, for so many years, it was, it was, you know, I want to do things a certain way. And so if I wanted to get them done, I was going to have to do them. And, but I think just learning how to delegate a little better, give, give guys, you know, these boundaries of like, Hey, this is what I want this to look like. And you have the freedom to do what you want to within those. And that goes a long way is giving them freedom to kind of, work within your, obviously your philosophies and how you want things to look and, and to be. I think just having clear expectations, something that I, I'm trying to do a better job of. It used to be just like, hey, you got the job. Hey, this is where we're going and jump on board. And now I think just sitting down, have clear expectations so they know exactly kind of where you're coming from as a coach and exactly what your heart is and that 
obviously I want to love on these kids and I want to help them grow and I want to challenge them and hold them accountable. And I want to, I want to do all these things for them. And so obviously you want them to help echo that. I try to ask questions now, just ask some questions about anything that, that they may have, you know, maybe thinking on, or I heard Dan Heathrow at DBU say it this way is he's not doing his job. If he's not teaching his assistants to, to someday take his job. Sure. Love that. And I love, I love that because that is, that is definitely not how I used to view it. And, but it is something that I'm working on doing a better job of is, you know, training these guys to one day take over, you know, shoot, it may be this one. Like I took over for John or it may be another program or, you know, I think that's a cool way of looking at it of just, uh, you know, you hear about this all the time of just coaching lineages and, and, uh, coaching trees that filter down. And, and so I think that's kind of a new perspective that I've, I've been trying to approach our coaching staffs with. And so, yeah, just like anything, I'm, I'm still learning just like everybody else, learning how to speak into them, just like I speak into our guys and ultimately feeling that I can do that and do it well. So, Again, definitely something that I'm always trying to work on and just learn through through mistakes and through doing things. I've probably done some things in the last 10 years that, you know, maybe I wasn't quite clear on expectations, which led to being a little frustrated because I'm not getting the result, but it was more my fault because I, I didn't clearly communicate that to them. And so, you know, you just learn those things. You learn those things through experience. You learn them through just kind of getting in there. And, and I think, you know, those are some of the things, just being able to get some freedom clear expectations, asking questions, and then ultimately treating them in a way that uh, you're preparing them to take your job one day. Uh, I think I was fortunate because that John did that for me. And, you know, for him to sit here and say, Hey, I want, I want you to take over my program. And I can only imagine now I've been the head coach of this program. This is my 11th year. You know, I mean, this is, this is my baby. Like this is, you know, this is, uh, this is a program that we built. And so mm-hmm. for me to say, Hey, I want you to take this over. That's a big deal. And so, you know, those are just some things that I've, I've learned some things that I've, I've tried to try to really work on through throughout the years. So. No, definitely. And, and I love the vulnerability side of that. I think that if we don't admit our weaknesses, we're not aware of them yet. And the more aware we are, the the better we can get at fixing those and, so we've talked about the fall a ton. So let, let's go ahead and get into the spring. And, you know, what, is, what does a typical week look like for you when, whenever you're preparing to get your team ready to play? I'd, I'd say more in the preseason. Let, let's stay on that for just a minute, just because, it again, we're preparing our team to play rather than just, you know, maintaining while developing in between, in between games. But what does a typical practice plan look like for you? And just kind of take us through how much time you spend on what, why, and in any ways that you found to be efficient or save time. Yeah, early spring, and this is where junior college, it's nice, but it also speeds things up a little bit. Our start date is January 10th. And so our opening weekend, at least the first weekend out that we can play, is typically the last weekend in January. And so this past year, our first practice was on January 10th, and our first game was on January 27th. Nice. Okay. And so 27 to 28. So we literally had 17, 18 days. And so uh scary part is we, we have a time over Christmas break, like most schools where, you know, obviously we can't have any kind of structured anything. And so our guys are gone for almost four and a half weeks. 
close to five, depending on when they finished up their finals. So it, you're hoping that these guys are taking care of business while they're at home. And, and, you know, we try to give them some workout plans and obviously hoping that they, they come back ready to go. And so those right, 17, yeah. 18 days are, are very packed full of, you know, typically we get here and we have about a week before school starts. So, which is nice. That means we, we have a few less distractions as far as just people on campus and, you know, guys trying to figure out where their classes are. It's just nice that we kind of have a week to where we can do, we can do some two a day type stuff. We can really focus on some of that. So for us, those first couple of weeks are trying to kind of get back into the swing of things. I'm a foundation guy. So we, we start with some foundational stuff and then we build as obviously the spring progresses into more of just kind of a maintenance. Um, you know, you get later into the spring years, kind of a maintenance mode, but so we'll, we'll kind of get back to the basics those first couple of weeks. And then, you know, just trying to crank up the competitive side of things through inner squads and different things like that. But a typical practice for us in the spring, one of the things that I started doing is I, I started getting my infielders there early. And so, you know, it's not every day, but I would say three to four days a week, our guys are taking mass fungo before we even stretch as a team. And so those guys get there a little early. They have some stretching stuff that they do as a group. And then we go into an infill mass because sometimes that infill mass in the middle of practice, it takes up a huge block. And so I feel like it kind of disrupts the rhythm of practice sometimes. And so what we've done is we've taken it and moved it to before practice. And I have my managers and assistant coaches. We've got four fungos going at one time and those guys are, are getting reps for about 20 minutes before practice. And then we typically have a, a team stretch. We go through a dynamic warm up with those guys, um, just focusing on just trying to get the body activated and, and, and ready to go. And then that takes about, you know, I would say about 15 minutes or so. And then uh, this is when the pitchers and position players kind of split. So pitchers will head off and they'll start working on their arm care activation throwing program and they kind of head off into one corner and then the position players we typically will head down we're all turf which is super nice makes it a lot from a maintenance standpoint we can kind of get on the field and go 100%. Uh, we don't have to worry about anything so so we get on the base we get on the bases and we typically will do about 10 or 15 minutes of base running and so early on it'll be pretty basic stuff and then obviously it'll evolve into you know we'll start preparing maybe for a left-handed move or whatnot or just working on certain jumps or working on different timings just working on different reads different days or maybe different objectives and so we'll spend about 10 i would say about 10 to 15 minutes on that we just kind of dive right in and uh you know, whatever we're working on that day, we, we get about 10, 15 minutes of work in. And then we, and then that's when we kind of, we'll head down, do some arm care with position players. Okay. We'll work through our throwing program and that'll typically take, you know, anywhere between probably, probably about 15 to 18 minutes. And I, I'm being a little detail oriented here, but, sure, um, you know, it's about 15 to 20 minutes. Most, most of the time with that, we really want those guys to, feel like they're they're ready to go i love doing the throwing i mean like you said we've already done mass they don't throw during mass by the way it's just ground balls okay so because they haven't thrown yet so we just do mass so we're they just put in a bucket make a pile whatever that looks like and so so now we're we're already 
and our infillers are more than this, but we're already 30, 35 minutes into practice and we haven't thrown yet. And I like that because it, it sends the message that I, I just feel like a lot of times throwing sometimes gets thrown in with the warm up thing. And I just, I don't like the message that sends. I want throwing to actually be a part of practice. Like it's something that we are intentional about. And I just think it's important. So many, so many errors are made from a, you know, from a throwing perspective. And so, so we'll spend some, we'll spend some time finishing up our throwing program. And then we'll typically head into, depending on the day, some kind of team defense Well, by this time the pitchers are done with all their stuff. They typically take a little bit longer which is why we kind of build in the base running to kind of help offset that. Uh, we typically get done around the same time. We'll head into some team defense. Or if the pitchers are doing some other stuff, we'll head into some individual defense where catchers will go do their thing, infillers will do their thing, outfielders will go with the coach, and we'll spend about you know 20 or so minutes either on situational defense or ind- individual defense. And so – and then we'll come together. That's 20, 30 minutes. And we'll come together and, and uh, we'll transition to BP for the next hour, an hour and an hour 15, typically. And, uh, and then, I mean, that's at that point, we're three hours in. So uh, we finish up with BP every day. Some days we might cut BP a little short and then finish with some kind of live. Like sometimes we'll play like a two ball live system where we'll have some guys playing, playing the ball live in the field and, and the guys at the plate they'll finish up with what we call two ball, which means they hit a ball, they get a freebie, and then the next one we play live. And so sometimes we'll finish up with that. And then, you know, that puts us about three hours in, which is about max for us. We just, outside of just an inner squad day, I just don't like really going over that. I, I want to have some clear objectives. I want the energy to stay high. I want things to flow. We will let our guys know, what we're doing beforehand so that there's not a whole lot of start, stop, start, stop. We can kind of flow from, from one exercise to the other and and have energy doing it. So that's kind of what a typical spring day will look like. And then obviously it, it, it might look a little different if, you know, we're facing a certain guy or a certain arm, then we may structure some things a little differently, or mm-hmm. if maybe we, we had a bad weekend in a certain area. We may, we may add a little more time in for, to work on something if we needed to, but, but that's, that's generally kind of how it goes. Perfect. And, you know, something that I'm trying to get better at, especially in season is, you know, you've got a roster full of guys and you can play nine or, or 10 guys at a time with a pitcher and DH. And, and so just making sure the guys that are not playing every single day, they understand why, what they can work on and even line up changes and, and different things like that and just getting better at the communication piece because at the I mean there's going to come a time where the the guy that we never want to make a play at the end of the game has to make a play and he's got to be ready you know physically and mentally so how have you gone about having those conversations because you don't want them to get frustrated and you know quit on the, not necessarily just quit and leave the team but just you know stop giving as as much effort and it may be a guy that's a year away it, it may not be but how have you maneuvered those conversations? And I'm sure you've gotten a, a lot better at it as you've been a head coach for 10 years or when I guess now 11 years. No doubt. That's definitely something that um, I try to be pretty clear on my expectations. I think it's important. We do meetings. We have individual meetings with our guys after the fall, and we are extremely clear with them on what our expectations are and what we saw and what we think their roles are. 
And so going into the season, everybody kind of knows where they, where they're at at that point. Doesn't mean that they can't move. We make that very clear that um, we are not married to anybody. And uh, just, and you know, this and any coach that's been in this long enough knows that the first lineup you ride at the beginning of the season is never the same as the last one. And uh, there's injuries, there's disciplinary things that happen. There's, there's kids that just don't do well. And so you got to move to another guy. There's so many things that happen through the course of the season. And so you do, you have to have the depth in order to sustain that. And, and so I think it's important to just kind of be clear in your expectations. And then if I, I'm a big body language reader, so I am, I'm constantly hawking our guys and watching body language. And so sometimes I can see, and it's, the fall is great because everybody loves each other and we don't have starters in the fall. So everybody plays. Right. Um, Cause I think it's important for us to see this is the hand that we're dealt, you know, this is, or not so much dealt. We recruited these guys, but this is our team. And so we need to see all of them. And, um, and then obviously, you know, you get into, so everybody's happy. And, and then normally those first couple of weeks of the spring, you start getting some, a little bit of sourness when guys start understanding what their, their true role starting to set in. And so if I kind of sense that, or I see that, I just pull them aside. I encourage them. I just try to let them know that they got to be ready if and when their name's called, because there will be a time where we will give them some opportunities. And so it happens every year with us. I, I've had, I don't know if this, I should admit this, but I've had multiple all Americans that didn't start the year out as starters. <laughs> so I don't know if that's just bad evaluation on my part or if they just really took advantage of an opportunity, but um, I've got a couple of cases where I've had some all Americans that didn't start the first couple of years. And in, in fact, this last year, our, our best hitter statistically didn't play the first three weeks. And, you know, I just had a guy that we thought was a little bit more well-rounded than him. And he ended up actually getting hurt. This guy slides in and, and statistically he just, he played really well. I couldn't take him out. And so when that guy came back, I ended up, we had to shuffle some other things around because he had earned his spot and he had earned a chance to stay and, and uh, statistically was our best hitter at the end of the year. So I've got a similar story in 2010, my very first year as head coach. And we had an outfield where we had three guys that were sub six, six runners. And, um, man, we could fly out there. And my, my shortstop was a six, seven runner. My second baseman was like a six, six, seven, six, eight runner. And my catcher was a, a sub seven runner. So we had all this team speed. We were excited. We we're going to stall these bases. We get two weeks in the season. I don't have anybody. I'm getting everybody on and we're getting them over. I don't have anybody to get them in. So we had this, this guy that had been taking some really good BP and had a couple of good inner squads. And so I gave him a chance and he hit two doubles and drove four in. And um, fast forward the rest of the season, and he still holds about six or seven different baseball records at our school. Oh, that's amazing. And uh, didn't even play the first two weeks of the season. So imagine he always gives me flack about that. As I, he could have really separated himself from those records. But, uh, you know, I think that's just, that's just something that I try to make sure that our guys, regardless of their role, understand that their opportunity will come. And uh, they just have to be ready for it. And some guys do better with that than others, but it's definitely not an easy thing to maneuver, but I think just clear expectations. And then I think it's really easy for us to coach the guys, to coach the nine guys in the lineup and to spend a little less time on the guys that aren't. But 
I try to give those guys as much attention as the guys that aren't in the lineup. And I think that goes a long way. Oh, and that's, so that they know that you haven't quit on them. So yeah, I, th- I think that's a, a, a big factor as well. Oh, definitely. And I love that. And so, uh, before you go, I'd, I'd love to go over some lightning style questions just to kind of see where you're at on, on some different things. And these are, these are some of my favorite. They're, they're not something that we could go truly in depth with, but there's some that we ask a lot of other coaches about these things. And, and the first one is, and I love this one for you is what advice do you have for first year head coaches or, you know, assistants who want to be head coaches someday? Yeah, that's, I love that. Cause I've been in those shoes for sure. Both of them. And I think as an assistant, I think just being a learner, being a sponge, working hard with, you know, where you're at. I think it's, it's really easy for, for an assistant to kind of always be thinking about what's next, what's next. But I think, you know, kind of that typical phrase, be where your feet are, be, be the best assistant you can be where you're at, be a sponge, take notes. I had a book that a book and I turned it into a a file on my computer, but I just, I had all these, I got a collection of things that I just, I just collected whether I liked it or I didn't, it it helped me either way. And so, and I I think just learning how to be an echo voice of the head coach, just being, you know, being able to, you may not love or everything that he's doing or agree, but you know, your job is to back that guy up. And, you know, I think you'll find that those guys will be just as loyal to you down the road. But um, as far as first year head coaches, I think fake it sometimes. Mm, <laughs> I think you got to fake that you know what you're doing. I had to sell 35 guys that year when I was, it'd be really easy for them to sit here and say, we got a 25 year old guy. He's never been a head coach before. And I just tried to fake that I knew what I was doing. And even there was times where I was like, I have no idea what's going on, but I tried to be extremely prepared that year. And I tried to do that anyway, but I didn't want them to think that I was showing up and winging it. I didn't want them to think that we were doing anything that wouldn't be beneficial to them. And I thought they respected that. And uh, in fact, uh, this is kind of crazy, but my first year as head coach, we won 47 ball games. That's still a school record. And it's crazy to think of, but those guys bought in full fledged. And um, it was, which made me feel a ton better. And to this day, they're, they're, we're actually coming up. We have a 10-year reunion that uh, they're coming up this fall. And that first team of ours is coming back. And, and we're going to kind of celebrate that year. And, but um, I think faking it, uh, just, being, just you know, being confident in what you're doing and your abilities, I think you got to give yourself a break at times. You know, you're not going to change the whole program overnight. It's going to take some time. And uh, I think just understanding, just being in it for the right reasons, just continuing to go back to that letting that kind of drive who you are and what you do and how you treat people and you know what you do every day so definitely definitely love that and so the second question is about yourself and what you've learned lately so what's something that you've learned lately that's gotten you really excited yeah i think really ultimately and and i I kind of touched on this earlier in in the podcast but um one of the things that i'm learning is is the for wanting our players to be good self-evaluators. And so I mentioned it earlier, just through the charting, I really feel like us kind of going to a next step with this will be really good for them. And I think it'll, I think it's going to help the learning process. And I ultimately think that I think we'll be more competitive through it. I think it's going to create some competition 
And I, I think our guys will get better because of it. And I think that they will be better self-evaluators, which I think is huge. I think a lot of times either we, we think that we're a lot, we're a lot further down the road than maybe we think we are. And uh, I think the ego kind of sets in and that's where I think, you know, just having some humility and, and the fact of, okay, I'm not where I want to be. I've got to work hard to get where I need to be. And, and just some of those self-evaluation tools that, that I want our guys to have, because those things are, that's going to be big for them for the rest of their life as well. So I think just, you know, just kind of every summer, I just kind of step back. And that was one of the things that really spoke to me was, Hey, how can we help our guys be better, you know, self-evaluators and, and just charting some different things and then, posting them and letting them see that feedback, I think uh, will be good. So I'll keep you, I'll keep you updated on that. Yeah, no doubt. Please do. Uh, what is something that you guys do in practice that your players love? We do. We actually, we do a game that we call gap game and uh, it's, it's with the hitters. Yeah. It's just a way for them to kind of compete in the middle of the field. We, we put some cones out. We actually put a defense within the cones. And so our guys have to, score points by you know hitting balls in the big part of the field and and they get pretty competitive with it and they we break it out every once in a while we we want to kind of keep when we want to loosen some things up we want them just to kind of stop thinking a little bit just to compete and uh for our guys just to get some good barrel to middle big part of the field so we just kind of set up this game where they we got a defense that's pretty much all in center field and if a ball drops they get a point you know, if they catch it, they don't. And so each, each hitting group that comes through is competing, see how many points they can put up. And so it's typically uh, something that we do that, that our guys typically love. And then another thing that's kind of popped in my mind was a, a game we also call You Call It. And so, again, it's just kind of a – if we want to break up the monotony of, of kind of the everyday practice or everyday grind, we feel like we need something a little different, uh, we do a game called You Call It. Again, this is just for position players, so – Sorry, no, no pitching help here, but um, we do a game called You Call It where we have a situation, we have a, a piece of paper that has all kinds of hitting situations on it. And we've given them point values based on just how hard they are to execute. And so we put them in groups of three or four and everybody else is in the field and they get to pick their situation and then they get to execute it and they get those points. And then the next group, three or four guys come off the field. So basically there's probably going to be about five or six teams and then they get to compete against each other based on the situational. And they get, they get pretty competitive with that and, and they like it. And, you know, also they're learning a little bit about the game too, because we have them call their own offense. So if they want to bunt a guy over, they bunt a guy over. If they want to hit and run. They want to steal first pitch, they, whatever they want to do, they get to figure out how they need to score those runs and, and win the game. And so we like doing that from time to time. And those are, those are things that, that they look forward to and, you know, just a few things we, we do to help keep it light. I love that. And so the last thing that, that I want to ask you before you go is if our listeners want to get in touch with you and just to talk with you about anything that you mentioned today, what would be the best way online for them to be able to do so? Yeah. So all my information is on our school website, apacheathletics.com. You can find my email address on there, which is dwre at tjc.edu. And, um, and then I'm also on Twitter, um, at Rendug and I'm very sporadic with my tweets, but I do get on there from time to time. There's a lot of, a lot of good, I'm, I'm not a huge Twitter guy. I, I try not to get on there as much, but, um, it is something that, uh, I think is, 
is important. It's, it's a part of, there's a lot of great learning resources on Twitter, a lot of great, great things about it. And so that could be a, another way that they can, they can reach me. But um, yeah, I'd love to help in whatever way I can to get back to the game and, and just been super blessed with the people that I've been surrounded with and, and just, I'm in the same boat um, as anybody else. I'm just trying to, to learn every day and try to get better at what I'm doing so that I can be more effective for my guys and my staff. Definitely. Well, I've loved the conversation today, and I really do appreciate you taking some time out of a, your busy schedule to be with us. But I'd love to open up the mic for you. And it's just is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? I don't believe so. I think just at the end of the day, uh, man, we are given an opportunity of a lifetime to be a coach and you know we will you know there's a, there's a saying out there that we will impact more we will have more of an impact on our guys in this one year than most people will have in a, an opportunity in a lifetime and so i think that's just kind of important to to understand and you know i think well it's actually a billy graham quote i was I was kind of going off the cuff there, but it says a coach will impact more young people in a year than the average person will in a lifetime. And so I just think that's, uh, we have such a, an opportunity and to speak in the lives of, of, you know, 35 to 40 to however many guys you have in your program and, and they will be the next coaches and the next leaders. And, and, uh, it's just something that I've, I've come to understand and, and still understanding of, of my role in that. And, um, it's something that, has been pretty heavy on my heart. You know, we had some success. We've, we've had some success in our program and we've, we've won some really, really big games. And it's funny because, you know, those things come and go, but you know, those guys are going to be men in our community and uh, they're going to be serving in a lot of different capacities. And I think it's important for us to, to understand that and coach in a way that our guys will be influenced and impacted for a lifetime. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.